Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. We have something different for you today, ladies and gentlemen. We have a guest host named Trent Booth, who is the Training and Leadership Development Manager for Vector Marketing. Our guest today is one of my closest friends and colleagues in the world, someone who I have considered a powerful influence in my life since just after I started in the Vector Cutco business. It is none other than Mr. J. Brad Britton. Brad started in vector marketing in 1988. He was a top branch manager, a national champion district manager, and one of our most powerful and influential division managers. He became a region executive in the Western region for seven years, helped build an organization that was the number one region in the company for 12 years in a row, both during and after his tenure as the region manager. He left the company after 2005, came back in 2014 to run the Southland division, and his influences felt well beyond his own division. Brad impacts the entire Western region. He is respected throughout the entire company. He's also the creator of the Cutco Cares World Impact Initiative. Besides being an amazing leader, Brad Britton is a great man. I'm honored to have him as a guest today and grateful to have Trent Booth moderating this episode. Enjoy. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Changing Lives, Selling Knives podcast. I'm your guest host today, Trent Booth, and I'm excited to be here with a longtime legend of the Cutco Vector business, Mr. J. Brad Britton. How are you, Brad? Hey, I'm doing fabulous, Trent. How about you? So great. Really been looking forward to this podcast uh, for a number of days and weeks now. Looking forward to connecting uh, with you in particular. Uh, hey, why don't we jump right in here, Brad? Tell us a little bit about how you got started with Cutco, and uh, maybe some early experiences or, or lessons that you picked up. Yeah, absolutely. Love to dive right in. So I started in Houston, Texas, uh, many years ago, 1988, uh, as a college student. And a friend of mine said, "Hey, you got to check out this job." And uh, so I did, and went in and saw some guy cutting up stuff and cutting things with some knives, and I was kind of fired up about those knives. I didn't cook very much, but I thought, man, if I like these knives as much as I do, how much more would somebody who actually uses this this product uh, like it? And I got a chance to work with a, a gentleman by the name of John Carpenter. And man, I'll tell you, you talk about early lessons from John. Obviously, I learned about you know the product and that kind of thing, but I, what I learned from John, probably more than anything, is this very consistent and uh, genuine enthusiasm 
and positive enthusiasm for life, for people, for the business. John was, I, I can remember his personality was just magnetic to me. And we took a break during our training and we walked across the parking lot to McDonald's. We would probably never do that in a training program now necessarily, but we walked across and all of us, there were probably 25 of us in that training and everybody wanted to, to be walking right next to John. Everybody would be talking to John and he was just so positive. And as I got to know him more, I remember at one point thinking, you know, I wonder what he's like in real life, you know, because he's so positive in the office. And when I see him in the business, I mean, everything was positive. Nothing was negative. Everything had a positive spin. And we were in a grocery store and I saw him interact with a cashier <laughs> with a huge smile on his face, you know, looking her in the eye and just, you could tell her eyes just lit up when he paid genuine attention to her. And I remember that was not a lesson that I think anyone was trying, he was trying to teach, but just something that I, I took with me. And I just remember always wanting to treat people uh, the way that he treated that person just in that one instance. And that was one of the biggest lessons I took from working with John for that first the first full year as a sales rep. I know I've heard you mention in, in talks before, and we should probably mention at this point that you're a division manager at Vector Marketing. Uh, what year did you start, Brad? Yeah, 1988 uh, was when I started. Yeah, I was, I was a sales rep for about 11 months and then uh, was promoted to be the manager, uh, branch manager out in Beaumont, Texas. I had friends tell me and especially one of my best friends, mom, tell me, oh, you don't want to open a business in Beaumont. It's not a, the economy out there right now is not doing so well. And I didn't know any better. They said, go to Beaumont, you know? So I'm like, okay. And I, I went out there and we, we had a really successful summer. In fact, uh, we're the number two branch office in the company that year. We actually broke the all-time branch record, uh, which was, uh, the record was about 207,000 at the time, I think. And we did uh, in 1989, 200. 23,000 right about there. And uh, we were number two. And nobody really remembers who's number two. Number one, by the way, was a gentleman that many Vector folks know, Jeff Kunkel. Uh, he was up in near Chicago somewhere, and I'd never met him or anything, but I saw his name and, you know, I, I grew to, I won't say hate him, but I, I certainly hated losing to him uh, <laughs> for sure. And uh, I remember our finally listeners meeting. Who don't work at Vector, he, he's now like a director of sales development. Like he's a, yeah. a top executive now in the company, uh, 31 years yeah. later. So, yeah, exactly. He didn't just beat us. He beat us by, by, by a pretty handy amount, probably 40 or 50,000. So it was a, he had the lead from the very beginning. Uh, and we actually made a run from like the number five spot up to the number two spot in the last three, three, four weeks of the summer. So it was really exciting uh, to get to number two, but uh, we, we wanted to break that record. So that's uh, the history there of 1989 nobody remembers number two but jeff Kunkel, you got that big silver cup and uh, congratulations to you sir <laughs> now by the time i came on the scene in the early 90s you'd already been a silver cup district manager and in fact i think you by then were crushing it as a division manager tell us how you came to be in sacramento yeah it's not too complicated of a story you know i was in beaumont for one year i, I was a branch and was promoted at the end of the summer to district as the way it worked uh, at the time and uh, I was you know, district manager for this fall, for my first fall, got a chance to be a, a president's club, president's banquet achiever. And then the next year in the spring, they started saying, hey, we've got you know, some openings. There's a whole big area that's understaffed in Oklahoma, you know, Oklahoma and um, 
Arkansas, that whole area. And so I had three branches that we developed out of my first, my first branch. And so, so me and my three branches, we kind of went up and staffed this area. I was in Oklahoma city and I only ended up being there for four months and uh, circumstances uh, changed. And I was offered a chance to move to Sacramento. They actually gave me some different choices to move to that, that, you know, good big territories where they uh, thought that I could thrive in leadership. And I, I just was trusting uh, my managers, I, uh, the people that were, I was working with my division managers and the region managers at the time, because I didn't, I was too new to really know anything. And, but I did know I had a lot of faith and trust in the people that I've been working with. They'd proven to have my back over and over again. So uh, I ended up out in Sacramento and that was in the, uh, at the end of 1990 or not the end, but sorry, the end of the summer in 1990. And uh, I did struggle. I struggled because I moved at not the ideal time. My first year struggled. My first full summer, things picked up a little bit. But it really was a couple of years that I was there before things really started to take. I started to get some really good people. And uh, that's when in 1993, because of people like Mark Lovis, who's now a legend in the business, uh, you know, he was a project uh, in the very beginning, like a lot of us were. I'm sure I was a project. And, you know, we ended up with five branches at the district level. And that was 1993 was when, uh, when the first time that I really felt like I received any kind of national recognition. And it was interesting because I didn't feel like I did all that much because it was a great deal because of these five branches that we had that year uh, that we put all over the western part of the country. They didn't all stay really local. Like Mark Lovis, he actually moved up to the, you know, Washington State. And um, that was our first Silver Cup. And that's kind of when I guess people started to recognize that you know I was uh, doing well in the business. And that was pretty cool to, to receive some recognition from a lot of people I respected. So very early in your career, you connected with Bruce Goodman, who's now the president of, of Vector West. And, and uh, would you mind telling us some of the, the first lessons that you learned there from Bruce? What were some of the things and insights that you were gleaning as a young man working under him? All right. That's, uh, that's good. I, I can remember first time I, well, not the first time I met Bruce, but I can remember after my branch office, uh, the Conference of Champions, we had a chance to go to a to a conference and uh, Bruce had spoken at a meeting earlier in the summer and one of my reps pointed out to me how sharply he dressed. He was a sharp dresser, you know, when uh, this, this, uh, this rep, her name was Gloria. And uh, I never really paid any attention to that kind of thing before, but that was one lesson that I learned, you know, look, look sharp. And then I remember meeting Bruce, uh, having getting a chance to have lunch or breakfast with him at that conference of champions. And that's when the first time I had a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And Bruce is an intense listener. This is the thing that I've, I've always taken from him. He's a very intense listener. He listens with his whole face, definitely with his eyes. You can tell that and he makes you feel, anyone who's sat down and talked to Bruce will say the same thing. He makes you feel like you're the only person in the room when you're having that conversation. And that is a super important lesson. That I try to observe these things from these successful people more than just the surface stuff you know that what they're saying but you know how they're saying it and, and how they're acting that was a big thing and then as you said i did get to work with bruce because i was uh, brought in to work with him in the region office uh, there was a position at the time called the region sales director and it's kind of like an assistant region manager is kind of how i would put it and it was kind of like being a, a division manager and helping all the division managers helping all the region uh, helping to manage the region staff yeah there was it was basically an apprenticeship and the people that were promoted 
I mean, the idea was that every one of them, and I think every one of them did eventually be promoted to region manager. Uh, and there was a, a group of us across the country that were promoted into this newly created position as an apprenticeship. And it was uh, it was very enlightening for me. I got a chance to uh, watch Bruce as we basically built from the last place region to the first place region and winning silver cups, which actually became quite a dynasty. I was there in an executive position for seven years, and we actually won the silver cup, achieved the silver cup six out of the seven years. So that was very positive. And Bruce is the kind of guy that I learned things like do right by people. You know, whenever there's a decision to be made, and even if it means costing profit sometimes or, or almost every time, if you want to err in the favor of people uh, always. And I thought that was a very valuable lesson that I it just pulled at my heartstrings, you know, the kind of thing that made me want to just stick around and stay around this person and around this company that had this, this philosophy. Uh, you know, prior to working with Bruce, one of the division managers that I worked with had said to me something that may be the most valuable lesson that I, I feel like I learned. But he said, pay attention to how you treat people because you never know who might work for you someday. Hmm. And my, at first I thought, yeah, all these people might work for me. Kind of the, the selfish little thought. But as I, as I really began to resonate that, it just helped me understand just the value of people in general. You know, people, people have value. Even as a sales rep, I was taught that you can learn something from everybody. And I went into every demo thinking, you know, I don't you know, care who this person is or what they do for work or they have a story. They've got, they have a life. They have a life story. And they probably are a lot better at something, probably a lot of things than, than I am. And I always had this very, developed this natural curiosity to learn something from every appointment. I wanted to educate them, of course, on but not the product and how to, you know, the different names and uses of each of the knives. So even if they didn't buy Cutco, my attitude was, hey, they're at least going to get an education on how to use this size and shape of knife and what to use it for. Even if they don't buy my knives, they're going to come out ahead by this interaction that they have with me. And, and that just providing in, intrinsic value, regardless of getting anything in return. I mean, I learned this from virtually every leader investor that I worked with, from John Carpenter to Filippo Mancini, to Bruce Goodman, and Don Murat, who was the president at the time. So those kind of lessons really did uh, stick with me. And uh, just as a side note on this, pay attention to how you treat people, because you never know who might work for you someday. It's not necessarily just who might work for you someday. It's who might influence your life someday in any way whatsoever. Like I, What I did, Trent, is uh, I went and got the license plate for my car uh, that says Cutco, right? That That is the license plate, C-U-T-C-O. And I did that because I know it's going to help me be a better driver because I have this, <laughs> I always want to be branding the company <laughs> and branding Vector and branding our product in the most positive light at all times. And so I know that if I were to cut somebody off and they see that Cutco license plate and they get a bad taste in their mouth about Cutco, they might not even know what Cutco is, right? But someday their son or daughter might get a letter in the mail Right, or might go to a Cutco interview and they come home and say, "Hey, I'm working for Cutco." And somehow, in the back of their mind, they've got this conscious or subconscious notion that you know people who work for Cutco are jerks because they got cut off by this by this guy <laughs> on the freeway. Or one of my reps calls up somebody and says, "Hey, you know, I, I'm working with Cutco and I'm can I come do a practice appointment for you?" And they say, "Oh, Cutco, no." And they have a bad taste in their mouth and they say something negative to the poor rep because it was I was a poor driver. I don't know. That's my philosophy. I always want to treat everybody. 
that's a whole nother level of accountability. So I'm not sure how many other uh, states still have Cutco available as a license plate, but uh, there you go. Uh, you know, you remember one of the old uh, the old adages that we used to have back in the '90s: "In order to succeed, you must first help others succeed." And mm-hmm. uh, I remember hearing that as a young man in, in my teens, even just thinking, "Wow, that is that is remarkable to actually." Do well in business by helping other people. Now, I feel that you've embodied this, Brad, but even more, I've just seen you over the years, your body of work, just going above and beyond doing it for your own success, helping other people. I've seen you just actually help people, and I've seen you pour into people and invest into entire groups of people that you will never benefit from on a business level any other way than, than just that intrinsic, hey, people have value, so I'm going to invest into people. And uh, two, particular anecdotes come to mind. One is the Cutco Christian group that used to lead for so many years back in the 90s. And uh, even just my own personal family, when we transitioned into a national role and moved from Canada down to Philadelphia in, in uh, 2004, uh, you invited not just me to participate in your meeting, but you invited my entire family to not just come to the conference, which was pretty great for my wife and my two young kids under three at the time to go to Southern California. You invited us to your house. So now we're, we're hanging out with your kids. We're hanging out with Paulette. And uh, for such a, a young guy in the business, I mean, we knew of each other, but we didn't know each other well until that moment. And just can you speak to what kind of led to you just being that altruistic, just helping people that almost some might say you have no business help, but why would you do it? So is that a decision that you've made at some point? Is this kind of like, uh, how do you get there? That's a great question. Yeah, I do remember that. I remember, I can't say that I know why, you know, I mean, I knew of you and I, I had respect certainly for you and, and the position that you were being promoted to. And I think it might go back to that lesson, you know, pay attention to how you treat people because you never know who might work for you someday. And I, and I wasn't thinking, oh, this guy, Trent, you know, he might work for me someday and I want to make sure I make a good impression on him because, you know, he could make me money. How you treat people who have nothing to give you in return, uh, that tells a lot about a person. And I observed that in some of my mentors and I wanted to try to, I want to try to, I still want to try to exemplify you know, that simple thing, you know, I'll do things, Trent, if I'm going into a city area, I'll try to bring some ones and some fives because there's going to be some homeless people. There's going to be some people begging and, you know, to drop a couple of bucks here, I do it because, you know, because I can, there's times that I know I'm getting scammed. You know, I can tell you instances where, you know, someone sure. said they wanted some money for a bus and, and I happen to be going exactly where they said they were going. And I said, Hey, yeah, I'll give you a ride. You know, and this fellow's like, Oh, uh, okay, let me go make a call. This is before cell phone. So this, he ran to a, he said he was going to go to a payphone to let somebody know he was coming. I waited for like 30 minutes. The guy never, never showed back, you know? So I know that that's sure. happening, but my philosophy is this. There might be nine out of 10 of the people that are asking for money that are just, they don't really need it or they're just scamming or whatever. But there's one out of 10 that might, that genuinely needs it. Like it's genuinely a need. And, you know, it's for me, it's worth the nine to help the one. I don't know if that makes any sense. I had a chance uh, when I had my retirement, you know, you know, I did retire from Vector, so, so to speak, for uh, nine years. Now, I always knew I would come back to Vector in, in some capacity. But uh, one of the things that I wanted to do and the reasons people ask me, why did you leave? You know, you, were, you just had these national championships and everything. And it, it wasn't one big thing. It was several. You know, I had a special needs son at home that could use some extra attention. We were homeschooling my daughter at the time. I had a friend that was looking to expand some business and kind of offered me a kind of a consulting role. I wanted to go to Africa. 
There's a lot of people from my uh, local community that were going to Africa on these trips, and I was supporting financially, but I, I wanted to do it, you know. And so, in three weeks, you know, in the summer when our busiest time was never seemed very practical to me. So I wanted sure. to go to Malawi, and uh, so I got a chance to do that uh, three different times. In fact, I, I took my daughter there when she was 13, and she and her best friend and her other best friend, who actually was living there, uh, a fellow who was a retired firefighter, a good friend of mine, had. Uh, taken his family, his wife and his daughter there, and they were working in this village. And so we went out there and visited them for a while and started a, a, our own charity uh, where we gave uh, donated clothes and soap to children who really, they have one, Trent, they have one set of clothes, a pair of shorts that's threadbare, you know, holes all in it, or maybe one pair of shirt that has passed down from generation to generation. Maybe it's been passed down five or six times. And that's the only clothes that they have, period. And you go and you, you spend time in places like that, and I, and I do it because I knew it, it would enhance my gratitude. One of my four core philosophies of life is gratitude, and I wanted to take my daughter to experience that. It's one of the things that uh, kind of has shaped my worldview and my perspective on these things. You know, we have so much to give, and those people who have nothing, it's uncanny how grateful they are. I've got stories that will make you cry for sure, just about, you know, handing them M&Ms and little kids, young people, children, you know, getting down on one knee and holding up their hands, uh, like, like, they're, let me, like they're getting water out of a, out of a brook for one M&M. And it's really uh, remarkable. And not only that, but they're so content, you know, they're happy, you know, they, they have nothing, but that's not affecting their happiness. You know, you get a 13 year old in the United States and, you know, if they're not doing something for three or four minutes, you know, they're bored. I'm bored. I'm bored. <laughs> Think about the impact of going to try and help, and that might have been the motivation on the front end, but to come away and have gleaned so many lessons from uh, a people group that has still so much dignity despite the poverty that they're, uh, mm -hmm. that they're bravely facing daily. So I will actually come back to Cutco Cares in just a moment because this is somewhat of the, a lot of the culmination of work that you're doing, a lot of the stuff that the company is doing, but you know, you, you mentioned there earlier that you had a bit of a, I'd call it a sabbatical. If you plan on coming back at some point, mm -hmm. it's a nine-year sabbatical. You decide, hey, I'm going I'm mm -hmm. to leave Vector. I'd, I'd like to leave in a way that I could come back at some point. You'd built with Bruce, you know, the house that Bruce built. At some point, this is six championships out of seven years. You decided to take some time away. I spent about 20 months away from the business, and there was a number of reasons. And part of that is just even the allure that if I have more flexibility out there, I'll be able to do some good. That was part of it, to be frank with you. Mm -hmm. Similarly, I wanted to be able to do some other work that I just knew with the type of schedule I'd had at Vector I couldn't do here. That being said is I didn't figure on, I think that one of the trade-offs for me was just being able to invest into people as my work. I mean, for me to have kind of that mission of helping people and succeeding in business to have those lines blur at Vector is such a thing that I think a lot of us take for granted that I missed it desperately. And uh, just very strange circumstances we won't get into here led to me being able to come back at a time where most of us, when we leave, we really do think, hey, when I leave, I'm gone. How did you come back? Because uh, we love having you back as a division manager and you made such a massive impact in these years uh, since returning. So walk us through how you came back to Vector. Well, as I mentioned, I really always had planned to be back in Vector in some capacity. And, and I'd like to say I never really left. You know, I kept in touch with many people. A lot of the division managers that I had uh, promoted still would call me uh, several times a year. I would get calls with, you know, asking my opinion on something. And of course, that made me feel good. I'm not going to lie. It stroked my ego a little bit. And I, I always 
always relished in that. And when they'd get a, a another big promotion or maybe uh, earn the Hall of Fame, I would attend. I would go to the conferences, and I'd like to be there for those people. How do they come back? Well, it was just a, a quick sit down conversation with Bruce and uh, and the region manager in the in the, the Western region at the time, PJ Potter. You know, there there happened to be some openings at the at the upper middle management level, the division manager level, uh, and. It took like three seconds of making the offer. Hey, would you like to be a division manager here in these areas? And it was great because I didn't have to move. You know, and I never, I didn't think I'd be back as a division manager because that would probably mean I would need to move somewhere. And we kind of were happy or still are happy where we live. But it just so happens that, you know, there's a division you know, about an hour away, hour and a half away. I could, I could impact. And there were already some really top FSMs there, CSPs there that I'd worked with before. And uh, it was for me, I don't like the term no brainer, but that's really what it was. You know, it's just, sure. uh, it, it totally so made sense. It was a good fit. And here's the thing too. My daughter, since she was five years old, she had been wanting to sell Cutco. And, uh, I was not really sure who was ever going to be her manager or, or what. So, uh, <laughs> she, I knew it was going to be just a couple of years and she was about to be a rep. And I thought, you know, I don't want to actually train her, but I want to train somebody that I work with specifically to train her. And so, uh, she was able to become a sales rep in my office. And uh, I was able to attract a young lady by the name of Leslie Buckingham, who was it was and still an awesome person. And I knew she would take care of Madison and treat her the right way. And I'm so proud of Madison. And when she started, I didn't want to put any pressure on her to sell, you know, uh, although I knew she wanted to sell and she needed to sell because she was choosing to go to a, a fairly expensive private school. And we had worked out exactly what we were going to pay for her schooling. And if she wanted to go to a school that cost more than this. She'd have to figure out a way. And she worked really hard. I told her, all you want to do, all I want you to do is do 100 appointments. Just do 100 appointments. What you will learn and how much you will grow in 100 appointments, regardless of what the sales happen. And I figured if she did 100 appointments, she'd probably you know, do really very well in sales. And she did. She ended up making earning $12,000 in 11 weeks of working. And uh, wow. was able to pay for a pretty expensive uh, private education, uh, that, at least for that first year uh, at Biola University. Uh, and it was, you know, still pretty local right here in the uh, Southern California area. So it was really great. And, you know, growing up, I, I didn't realize it, but I was trying to prepare her mentally for if she did decide to sell, she always said she wanted to, but I didn't know for sure, you know, she would, and I wasn't going to try to pressure her, but I always wanted to run a business that, you know, will run it, run it the right way, do right by people. So that if a family member or a friend of mine or a daughter uh, in this particular case, began working, that I could be proud of everything that went on, everything that they learned, you know, everything that we taught them, you know, the integrity of what, what they're doing. And I remember Madison being a, you know, probably a sophomore in high school, and she was you know, beating herself up for some mistake that she had made or something. And she was saying to herself, Madison, you're so stupid, or, you know, something like that. Like, we probably all do from time to time. But yeah. she was saying, you know, saying things and of course, if you're saying it out loud, you're saying it even stronger uh, internally. And I told her something that really threw her for a loop. I said, Madison, I don't want you to talk to yourself that way. I don't want you to talk that. That's poison. That's poison in your mind. That's worse than physical poison. And she's like looking at me like, what are you talking about? And I said, let me tell you, I'm serious. I would rather you take drugs than, just, than to talk to yourself that way. And she looked at me like, I, yeah, I'd lost my mind. You know, and I said, seriously, because this kind of poison that you poison yourself with, that negative self-talk, that'll have a, a more long-term effect on you than, than the short-term effect of taking drugs. Now, she, you know, she didn't take drugs, right? And I didn't, I wouldn't encourage her to take drugs or anything, but I, I think she got the point at that time. She's brought that up to yeah. me a few times even since. So 
so anyway, talk about awesome that, that helping you talk about helping uh, your daughter with that inner game. You know, what, what a blessing for us as just young business people. Again, in my teens, learning that idea of, of being kind to yourself, speaking positively to yourself is so many, especially uh, driven achiever type people. Uh, we get stuck and we say things that we would never say to <laughs> another human mm-hmm. being, our, our daughter, our spouse, even, you know, Hey, you're stupid. or you idiot? Or what's wrong with you? And I think it requires real discipline to, to treat yourself at least as well as the people you're serving and to be able to mm-hmm. not just learn that once, but to continue to learn it. Even as adult now, I've, I've, uh, I've just had to ratchet down with discipline to make sure that I'm again, being kind to myself, if you will. And, uh, hate to encourage you again, Brad, you know, Earl Kelly at his meeting yesterday, he runs the, the Northeast region as the region manager there. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And he was talking about his daughter and my daughter, by the way, both his daughter's still in her fast start first 10 days. My daughter just mm-hmm. finished it. Uh, they finished one, two at the uh, conference yesterday, by the way, they're SC one. <laughs> wow. And, uh, wow. and for both of us, we trace it back to you of that. Hey, do a hundred demos. I don't care what happens. We're not concerned about the results or the income. I hope it's great for you, but we want you to have the life lessons that we know that doing a mm-hmm. hundred appointments will help mm-hmm. you glean. So uh, you're still helping people. And it's been just a remarkable <laughs> thing, by the way, to have this next generation of Cutco reps, vector reps uh, out there experiencing. Can you tell me some of the thoughts that, that just uh, struck you or, or things that you've gleaned watching your daughter become not only a successful sales rep, she's been a, a great assistant manager. I think she's even uh, got aspirations for more. What are some of the nuggets that you've gleaned watching your daughter experience vector? Well, I'll tell you, I understand parents thinking a lot more now because they're, well, I sure don't want to throw Madison under the bus or anything, but there's certainly, I notice that these young folks that work with us that are awesome and learning in their way in, in the world, they, just like Trent, you and me, when we were younger, we find ways to procrastinate. We find ways mm-hmm. to waste time. You know, and of course, the distractions are so many more now, you know, I mean, just they can pull out yep. their phone and, and on YouTube and watch reruns of The Office, you know, and there's a lot of things <laughs> that get in the way of just, you know, doing the things that we know we should do and that they know they should do. So and there were times when she wasn't putting in the effort, not that first summer, that first summer, she really, you know, cranked, but when she went back to school and, and even her second summer, now she sold a lot her second summer, but she did it without having to work nearly as hard. I mean, she probably worked you know, one fifth as hard the second summer and almost made as much money. You know, she sold like right. 20,000 the second summer, 40,000 the first summer and 20,000 the second summer, but because she's already at the higher commission rates. But my wife even said, say, I wonder what it'd be like uh, if, you know, Madison were just to get an hourly job, you know, she's not utilizing her time as well as she could, you know, and I was always like, no, 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 no. I couldn't be prouder of my daughter. She is a branch manager this summer. And, uh, she was just, she just took a trip to watch one of her, one of her friends graduate from college. And on that trip, she was PDI, you know, she was talking to PDI, you know, talking to reps on a daily basis just to help them through their challenges. And when her mom and Madison got back from this trip, it was a long drive there, long drive back up to Santa Barbara area or Cal Poly, uh, San Luis Obispo. Paul had said, your daughter's really impressive. She's really good. You know, she's learned how to have those conversations and she's learned how to help people through the challenges that she had as a rep from time to time. And so anyway, she's crushing it. And it's awesome to see. Absolutely. You know, I'm just, it, it reminds me too of one of the things I saw last week, my daughter coming back from her first team night and mm-hmm. she was going to be late. And I was like, Hey, I need you to, I need you to be back. You got, you can't drive after 11. And uh, with her license, she was 17 last week. 
just turned 18. Anyway, she was like, Hey, I got to stay here because uh, one of the girls, she's waiting for a ride in the parking lot. I don't want to leave her alone. I'm like, number one, great call. Absolutely. Great move. <laughs> but she recognized yeah. that and took action on that. But also the fact that she was just loving hanging out with, with her vector tribe, with her people. And uh, it just reminds mm-hmm. me of some of the things we've been talking about this morning is about, you know, you never really leave. And I'm actually excited mm-hmm. about creating more opportunities for alumni who maybe have transitioned out, but still kind of want to stay and what this could look like. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. we're probably out of time for that today. But if we get a little bit into the, again, that Cutco Cares World Impact Initiative and, and why this is important, can you give us kind of a, a brief version of how this started and uh, where you see it going? Cutco Cares. So here's the deal. You know, we were on a trip in Rome. You know, we take these amazing trips as vector managers uh, for the top achievers. And we were on a trip to Rome and we had a, a meal with our division managers. We usually have one night. We'll try to go out together. And we had a lot of leftovers. You know, and if you walk around the streets of Rome, uh, you, you see lots of people who are in need. You know, see homeless people, right. you know, just like you will in any, any large area. And I'm pretty sure it was my wife that had the idea. So, look, we've got all these leftovers. It would be really ashamed for this to go to waste let's let's put these leftovers in some separate you know bags and packages and each couple we took some leftovers and we found some homeless person on the walk back to the hotel to drop it off to and for the next several days and really for the next several months people were saying that was so meaningful to them and to to us now i'm sure that it it impacted the homeless folks that, that were in need there but the people that did it just felt this sense of understanding the perspective, you know, on the world and enhancing that sense of gratitude for the things that we do have. And so that is where it kind of started. And it's kind of budded from there. The next year in Prague, we happen to know some people who are leading a school, a private school that needed private funding. Uh, and, you know, so we asked some people before we went to donate some school supplies, you know, and, and some people donated some supplies some people donated money. And my wife and I went there and we dropped off these supplies and toured the little school and several people said hey if we didn't know you guys were doing that we would have we would have wanted to, to be, participate in it and so mm-hmm. those two trips two years in a row led us to believe that you know we go do these amazing trips and we see all these amazing things and we're living this really tremendous lifestyle and everywhere we go there's need everywhere you go there's need so the next year was in costa rica and we created this formal program where we went to visit this place where these there's these children in this abject poverty and and if i told you some of the stories of how these children ended up here and these families ended up here it would you know it would be be really sad but we had like 60 people about 60 or 70 people voluntarily take a a half day out of their vacation from you know their their parasailing and their jet skiing and their snorkeling and their sailing and they're doing all these really tremendous things hanging out by the pool but they took this time to go and spend time with these kids and invest their time and energy where it really produces just unbelievable good karma, you know, unbelievable uh, meaning for these, these, these people that we visited. And that's where it really became formalized. And now we've done Cutco Cares in Munich, Germany. And uh, we, we did it last year in the Cayman Islands. We visited the Special Needs Foundation and played with kids all morning. We ran a a day, a sports day camp for the uh, for the local YMCA there, and people love it. And I, I just think that of our trips, the things that people come away with, the enhanced perspective on the world, the enhanced feeling of gratitude for what we do have, and just grateful to be able to do things for other people that aren't going to be able to do anything back for us in return. So, Trent, one thing that 
I identified a lot of years ago that is a super important to me, and that is that we at Vector, what we do on a daily basis, a weekly basis here as Vector managers especially and as a company, we serve a population. We serve a certain group of people that I, I believe is completely underserved. And this is the group of people between you know 17 years old, college, you know, high school graduates, college students, maybe not a college student, up to about the age of you know 24. And what we do is we equip these people to be better humans, <laughs> to be better people, uh, the best version of themselves that they can be with, by teaching them a you know skills to make money. You know that they can make money here, or they can take the skills and, and use it at other places to move up more quickly in their job and create greater uh, greater income. We teach them concepts like gratitude, you know, and and perspective on life and that there are so many other things out there that that matter that can matter we teach them how to have flexibility in their schedule we teach them how to you know manage their schedule all these things that are going to help them down the road to be successful and then take that step further and those are the people that are going to be building the houses for habitat for humanity they're going to be the ones that are going to africa and digging wells or organizing groups of people to do these things if they have any leadership experience that they may have learned from Vector, or they have the financial resources because they either made a lot of money here or are making a lot of money here, or they go out and start their own businesses and they become well-to-do and have more money than they need. So there's more people working with the Red Cross, more people digging wells, more people feeding the hungry, more people building homes because of the work that we do. So really, we feed all kinds of great work around the world and we affect the world's population exponentially because we're working with so many young people, teaching them this skill set and this mindset that can go out and impact the world. And it's that whole ripple effect that I kind of that I talked about earlier, that there's no end to what we're going to do. They're going to go off and raise more positive kids and be better parents because of their experience in selling Cutco and their leadership experience as assistant managers and branch managers and, and so on. So I don't know if, if that resonates with people. Uh, the the way it resonates with me or not, but that's and that's what I'm the most excited about. So exponential ripple effect, changing the world, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, all that. You know, that's that's what we're trying to work toward. Just in what we do every day with Vector at a team meeting, at a training class, and also what we're doing with the Cutco Cares. I mean, I just love our culture here. As I'm talking to one of our most veteran executives in the company, you're still excited to grow. Oh man! Well, yeah, well, duh. <laughs> that's what I say to that, you know, you, you got it. You know, if you're not if you're not growing, it, it, you know, life gets really boring. You know, life is either a daring venture or adventure or nothing at all. I think Helen Keller may have said that. And uh, you know, I wanted to be an adventure, and I want to. It wouldn't be that much fun for me, by the way, if it was just me doing it. And I'm so grateful for the people that participate in it. I know they're gonna they're, they're taking time out of a, a vacation, and and they could be you know snorkeling, or they could be visiting a, a cathedral, or seeing all these amazing things, and they decide voluntarily to take their time to show other humans, other people that they matter. Come on, that's that's stuff, man. That's stuff that tugs your heartstrings, you know? Brad, you mentioned something earlier I'd like to double back on. That is your four core philosophies. You mentioned gratitude was the fourth. I think people would, uh, this would be my last podcast ever if I don't ask you, what are the other three core, uh, core philosophies that you identified? All right, so the first one is connection, okay? And I you know I can give a, a twenty minute talk at least on each one of these and I obviously won't uh, but connection connecting with other people okay I think back to that connection that John Carpenter made way back so many years ago with that cashier at a grocery store 
you know, we have so many opportunities to connect with another human being, even on a very small level, a flight attendant, you know, look them in the eye with a smile, engage them, just acknowledging their presence. And even without a conversation, there's a connection that can be made, but deeper connections with our family, connecting with customers, connecting with ourselves, connecting with our, with a higher power, you know, connection, it's a big word, okay, in the, in the way that I like to think about it. Uh, so enhancing those. The second one is execution, okay? Execution is simply doing, really. Doing the things that we know we ought to do, but not just thinking that we ought to do them, actually doing it, okay? Like getting up when our clock tells us to get up because we told our clock to tell us the next day what time to get up, right? And winning the battle of mind over mattress in the morning. You know, I heard that in, when I was a college student. You know, Matt, you know, you got to win the battle of mind over mattress. You know, we know we should get up. We know we should eat these particular things and probably not eat as many of these other things. We know we should probably get some exercise, right? So execution is is doing more of the things that we know that we should be doing, okay? Sure. Well, why don't we all do that? I mean, you know, the, uh, fellow around 2,000 years ago was, was writing these letters to different people in ancient times, and he even talked about it. This fellow named Paul, and even talks about, you know, why don't I do the things that I know I should do, right? It's, it's been a struggle for, since the beginning of time. And so just identifying that it's a thing, and making it a core value, more things get done that need to get done. Anyway, simplicity is the third one. I believe that everything that we do, we should work toward doing it in a more simple way, right? And, you know, maybe we're already to the point where it's, we've simplified it to the most simple way of doing it. But if we always operate that there's a moving towards simplicity, right? I remember someone in Vector, I'm pretty sure, say, why say blah, 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 if blah will do the trick? You know, and I think that I need to hear that every day because I, you know, obviously you can tell I talk a lot and I like to tell stories, but simplifying, you know, in vector our training process, you know, simplifying the, you know, what we'd say on a cut code demo, simplifying any challenging complex problem, just working on making it more simple. Now, even if it's impossible to always be working toward that, uh, there's going to be many, many, many times we're going to find the ways to simplify our life simplify our relationships, simplify communications. And then the last one, of course, is gratitude. Connection, execution, simplicity, and gratitude. Those are the four. Those are rich. I mean, I feel like we could have an entire podcast on those four alone. We could fill easily 40 minutes there. So I'm hoping uh, we'll get a chance to do that in the future. We'll get a chance to double back and, and capture more stories, more thoughts around this. But I really appreciate you investing some time into our group, into our community here. I think this has been an outstanding podcast. I'm looking forward to uh, getting some feedback from the rest of the world about it. Thanks for joining us. Well, it was definitely my pleasure. You know, I'm a huge fan of this podcast uh, and, of course, a huge fan, Trent, of you and of Dan Cassetta, who is uh, facilitating these and kind of it's his brainchild to create. And, you know, I was honored and very proud, you know, that Dan asked me to be an interviewee. My first thought was, what am I going to (laughs) say about anything? But I have been in the vector business for 31 years and, you know, I'm 55 years old and I've seen a lot of things in my life and, you know, anything that I can share that, you know, people will hear and say, oh, that's, that's a good point. That's a good nugget. And you know, I'll adjust my thinking on here. That's great. Cause that's how I learned. I just learned all these things from other people that were willing to share. And so that's why I love this podcast. Well, thanks for paying it forward, my friend. You have an awesome day. Thank you. Trent. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Mr. J. Brad Britton with Trent Booth. Uh, loved hearing about John Carpenter's spirit of positivity uh, he has been an amazing leader in the Cutco Vector organization uh, as well. Building the Western Region Dynasty with Bruce Goodman on a foundation of treating people right. 
Also, the importance of the ways in which we talk to ourselves. And you heard Trent Booth say, treat yourself as well as the people you are serving. Uh, loved hearing about the Cutco Cares World Impact Initiative and all the ways that we serve humanity, both abroad and here at home, through the impact we have on young people and the ripple effect of that. Of course, Brad's four core principles, connection, execution, simplicity, and gratitude. Thanks, Trent Booth, for hosting. I think you can all see why Brad Britton has been such a powerful force in my life, and I'm happy that we got to share him with all of you here today. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.